Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 12 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you would subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today in our main interview, I will be talking to Chinook Performance Racing team rower Allison Hunt. But first, let's get to know this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. Last weekend, I was at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles for the Spartan Race Stadium Sprint. And while I was there, I grabbed interviews with a few of my fellow obstacle racing seasoned athletes. One of them just happened to land her first Spartan Race Masters Elite podium spot that morning, and I was thrilled to get a chance to talk to her shortly afterward. Meet this week's everyday seasoned athlete, Cora Volkoff. I'm Cora Volkoff. I just turned 40 and I'm an obstacle course racer. I think I love this sport because it just taps into so many different areas. When you're training, you can use so many different parts of your body, challenge yourself in so many different ways, like it never gets boring. Um, I used to be a triathlete and so I just have that to compare it to and although they're still running in both, the obstacles are much funner than the swimming and the biking um, of the triathlons. I used to play sports so I always think that I have been goal oriented and this really just is fun to have a focus again after kids and being 40. I just think it's never too late to start because I never thought I would be where I am today getting on a podium for a Masters. I watched Spartan races on TV. You know, the past five years I had seen them. I just had kids in the back of my head. I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And my daughter was five at the time. She said, I want to do it. And we looked it up and there was a kids race. And then I realized you didn't have to be super hardcore. I didn't know I would enter into that elite category at the time. But I said, hey, I want to do that. And we signed up and it just kind of started from there. But I just think that don't be afraid to start. You can start anywhere. I read something that um, was kind of cool, like don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. And so you just have to start at chapter one. You just have to put the shoes on and go to that first class or on that first run or go to your first obstacle course training somewhere. Everyone who has that little desire in them has seen it. They know inside, they're like, okay, they just have to act on it. And I think that anybody from any walk of life, no matter what your age is, can come do this and have a good time. I am Cora Volkoff, and I am a seasoned athlete. After I spoke to Cora, she requested that I give a plug to the gym that has helped her grow and develop into an elite obstacle racing competitor. If you're in Southern California and want to train like Cora and with Cora, check out Rut Camp in Long Beach. You can also visit seasonedathlete.me and download my free Beginner's Guide to Obstacle Racing, a PDF chock full of tips and advice for first-time and prospective obstacle racers. And if you'd like to be featured as an everyday seasoned athlete in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me everyday and tell me a little bit about yourself.
And now let's get to know this week's featured seasoned athlete. Meet Chinook Performance Racing team rower, Allison Hunt. Hi, Allison. Hello, Robin. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Absolutely. That's what I like to hear. You are Allison Hunt, Los Gatos, California-based wife, mother of two, and master's elite rower. With your team, Chinook Performance Racing, you have earned 11 gold medals in the past year alone. When not in the water, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 20 years of clinical experience, and you're currently an eating for performance coach and work with Advocare, a nutritional supplement company. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a moment to fill in? I think you covered it pretty well, Robin. From here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I am 53 years old. Fantastic. So let's start from the beginning, Allison. When did you start playing sports and what did your early athletic life look like? Oh, man. Well, I think I was born um, playing sports. Um, growing up, I when I was five, I started playing soccer, running around fields. And then when I was nine, my family moved to Northern California and I got into horses and immediately was introduced to a sport called vaulting, which is gymnastics on horseback. So horse runs around in a circle and we vaulters get on up to three people at a time and do routines. I did that competitively until I was 16. And when I was 16 in a competition, I landed incorrectly in very deep sand. This was, you know, we're talking the the 80s. And I completely shredded my ACL in half and tore most of my cartilage in my knee. So had a big surgery and they actually were not doing ACL reconstructions at that time. Um, it really was in 1980 actually that that happened. And so the doc said, Hey, you should never vault again or do anything of impact. So I thought, wow, what am I going to do with all my energy? Because (laughs) I was one of those kids that had ADHD. I was quite hyperactive and needed to channel that somewhere besides getting into trouble. So I, in high school, found a rowing team. And so I rowed two seasons in high school. And when I graduated from high school, I decided, you know, I really wanted to continue with horses. So I immersed myself in showing horses for a a number of years. That led me through getting married, having a couple kids. And then in my late 30s, um, my daughter had been a swimmer. And even though I swore I would never swim, Um, some dad convinced me to swim a couple days a week. He said, I'm going to come pick you up. I know you have a suit, get a cap and goggles from your daughter and come to the pool. So I started doing that two days a week. And then one day in the pool, some women that I was swimming with said, Hey, come to a swim meet with us. And I said, Oh my golly, teach me to do a flip turn and I'll go. So I did that. And I went to a master's meet. And the first thing I saw was people in their 80s who were healthy, they were having fun, they were with their friends, and they were competing. And I thought, wow, I'm in my late 30s. If I can be like them in my 80s, I'm doing this. So I started competing in swimming. Um, Swimming became all about racing. I'm not a huge lover of being in the water, but I'm a competitive person. So I started going to Masters Nationals, and that led to training with the high school kids where my daughter swam. So what that enabled me to do is have a great relationship with my daughter. Through her high school year, she and I trained together. 
I was competing in masters meets. She was competing in, in under 18 meets, but about once a year there was, or twice a year, there was meets that we can compete in together. Um, in one of her last junior meets, I actually earned my spot on the 200 free relay. Cause I was a sprinter and she was a sprinter and it was really, 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 a, a really fun moment to be able to be on that relay with her, um, for one of her last junior meets. Um, she moved on to swim in college and as she left for college to go swim, I thought, wow, you know, I've always wanted to go back to rowing. So this takes us to about seven years ago in 2010. And as she was leaving to go swim in college, I went up to the rowing club and went out with a coach and thought, I'll just watch. And he said, come back tomorrow and I'll put you in a boat. Well, that's all it took. I got in a boat. It was like the old, the old adage they say of it's like riding a bike. It was it's like rowing a boat. Yeah, it's like rowing a boat. It's like rowing a boat. <laughs> it was beautiful on the water. Um, I love being out there again as the sun's rising. But I really, really loved the idea of the team. Um, swimming is very individual. Even though you're part of a team, you swim relays. But rowing, you know, when you have eight people in a boat working together, it's a fantastic feeling. So that's when I jumped into rowing. You touched upon a few points that that I really, really like um, in your story. First of all, I love that you saw the 80 year old swimmers and and it's like, oh, look at them. They can do this at 80 years old. And I spoke to someone who was a 66 year old marathon swimmer. And she talks about how, you know, as you get older, swimming and and being in the water is just so, so great for your heart and so healthy. And that's just such an excellent type of sport to be able to do as you age because the the actual impact on your joints is so minimal but you could compete at whatever level you want to so I love that that was inspirational for you I also love that you got to swim with your daughter that's really really cool and I I talked to another guest who got into a sport because she was able to participate with her son and I think a lot of parents see themselves as the spectators for their kids athletic journey but I really love when the parents can actually participate with their kids. I think that's that's really neat. Yes. And, you know, I want to add, um, because I did listen to the other podcast, that it, it gave me the ability to really appreciate how hard she was working. It gave me the ability to understand when I would go to her swim meets and watch her swim, the absolute belief that every single time she got up on the block, it was an all out effort, regardless of the end result. You know, so if she didn't swim that well, well, there's probably a reason she didn't swim that well, but it wasn't usually about effort. So it gave me a whole new appreciation for how incredibly difficult that sport is. Yeah. And that's another point that one of my other guests brought up is it's like it makes you into a better sports parent when you actually are doing the sport that your child is doing. And you you can experience every moment of it and all of the effort and all of the struggle. It's like it makes you very much more appreciative of what they're doing out there and probably a little less critical. Right. Yes. And the other piece that really bonded us is she knew more about the sport than I did. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from her. And that was that was really great as well. Yeah, it's a neat role reversal in a way when your child is teaching you something that is benefiting you now. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So for a little while, you were both swimming and rowing competitively, but now you're only rowing competitively. What led you to stop swimming and focus solely on the rowing? Yes, good question. So as I grew into more of a competitive rowing athlete, it became apparent to me that it was very difficult to do both sports 
at the same time well. So um, the last time that I went to Masters Nationals for swimming was in 2014. So I trained only swimming from January through May and went to Masters Nationals in May, did great, got some top 10 times and top 10 medals and some relay top 10s. That was very fun. It was a great meet. Literally the next week, jumped in a boat and started sprint racing and and rode the rest of the year. So by the end of the year, um, I I had all along developed some shoulder issues. Um, it was getting more difficult to have my arms overhead, whereas rowing your arms aren't overhead except when you push a boat up. So it's it's not as much. It felt better on my body to be rowing. And I also really loved the team aspect. So I decided to hang up my goggles for a period of time. I'm not sure that they're hung up indefinitely at this point, but, um, and, and focus more on rowing. Now you mentioned a little while ago that you said you would never swim. And now you're telling me that maybe I'll swim again. Like, why did you say that you would never swim and what changed in you? (laughs) It's funny. So uh, there's two things in my life. I, I swore I'd never swim and I swore I'd never have fish. I currently have a 46 gallon fish tank full of fish and I swam. Um, swimming for me turned into, it, it turned in that I had some natural feel for the water, which enabled me to be good at it. Um, I had some fantastic coaching. The coaches I had in the water are some of the best in the world, in my opinion. And Um, and I'm a competitor. So as you start to be good at something, um, you want it more and more and you feed off yourself and I'm an adrenaline junkie and a sprinter. So I was able to sprint swimming and loved it. So all you had to do is have one person convince you to try it and have the ability to never say never. Cause it sounds like you swore you never would do certain things, but some benefits come from never saying never, right? Absolutely. Yes. And I, I laugh about that a lot. Like, don't say that, Allison, because there's a couple of things that have, I've proven wrong there. I feel like anytime you say you're never going to do something, that means you're definitely going to do it. <laughs> that could be. <laughs> Based on my limited understanding of you, that that's just something you probably should be careful about. If, you, if you're saying you're never going to do it, just give it some time. You're probably going to do it. It, it might happen. Yes. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about rowing because it's possible that a lot of people listening may not understand what rowing is all about, what the sport entails. Can you talk a bit about what it is, what the teams are like, what the boats are like? Just a little bit of a brief overview of what is rowing. Yes. So rowing is an Olympic sport. Um, Many people have watched it in the Olympics. um, And I'm going to say highlighting um, our American women are at the top of the game in world rowing. Um, We have won in the women's eight in the Olympics. And when I say the eight, meaning that is eight women in the boat, really nine, because there's a coxswain. The coxswain um, drives the boat, steers the boat, makes the calls. She doesn't row. She's usually a smaller person. Um, And then you have your rowers. But in the Olympics is what most people see, but there are different types of boats that are rowing boats. So you'll see people in singles, which is one person. That's a sculling boat. That person has two oars in their hands. There's also something called a double, which is two people with two oars. And there's something called a quad, which is four people with four oars. None of those boats have a coxswain. They are called blind boats, but they're very fast boats because they don't have any extra weight. Those 
Um, then there's a boat called a pair, which is two people with each have one oar. There's a four person boat that has a coxswain and, and they each have one oar and there's an eight person boat and they each have one oar as well. So there's different types of boats that races. Um, and then, so the Olympic distance that you see is, is a 2000 meter race for masters rowing. Well, let me go back. The 2000 meter race is done for high school students and for college students and at the Olympic and world level. For we masters, the primary distance for a sprint distance is a 1K, so a 1,000 meters. We have one race a year for us that is a 2K. It's at the San Diego Crew Classic typically. And then in our fall racing season, it's called head racing, which are 5,000 meter races. Do you have a preference? Oh, yes, I do. Because I'm a sprinter, I love a 1K. I will rip off one K's all day long. I mean, I have raced six K's, one K's in one day. Um, four one K's is a little better for me. I love that all day long. Um, head racing season is the, in the fall. There is one race that is the race of all races. It's called the head of the Charles in Boston. It is typically the largest regatta in the world. It has about 12,000 athletes from around the world that compete. And we go down the Charles river in Boston and it's absolutely beautiful because Boston in October is oh. breathtaking. Oh, I imagine. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's a very famous race with lots of crazy turns. The boats start out one of it, one at a time, so it's all timed. It's not what they call head-to-head, but it's a very exciting race. For me personally, head racing season, I literally feel like I hold my breath, I dive in, and I just kind of get through it because it gets me really fit for sprint racing. So I don't love it except the head of the Charles. And I just do it because it makes me better athlete for sprint racing. So you almost treat it like you're training, like these races are your, your training for these races that you prefer. Yes, except I mean, the head of the Charles is definitely something I train really hard for to sure. be good at. So let's talk about training a little bit. Um, aside from the actual rowing itself, what types of cross training do you find is best to help you in the sport? That's a great question. Um, uh, about a couple of years into rowing, I asked the coach, what do I need to do to get better? And he said, you've, you've got to be lifting. So it was about that time, actually, I had my son was a senior in high school and he and I together started going to a CrossFit gym in order to strength train. I was very worried initially about doing all the Olympic lifts, but I found a CrossFit gym that was run by a woman and she said, you know, you do not have to Olympic lift for me to get you strong. So I started out really slow. Um, and I was of course worried about my son getting injured. So he and I started CrossFit together. It was another great bonding time. Um, we learned together, we got going. And so cross training, I will say currently at this date, um, I do it in my strength training in a CrossFit gym, but I, I do certain lifts like in rowing, you need really strong, um, hamstring glute and quad. It's a, it's a primary leg driven sport, believe it or not. Um, so we do a lot of lower body stuff, but it's also a cardio sport. So for me, I do, um, besides the kind of normal lifting for your lower body, like I drag a real heavy sled, um, for say four minutes on two minutes off. I do things like that. Lots of wall balls, um, 
a lot of typical CrossFit type exercises and a lot of core in the rowing stroke. You need a really strong core to be able to hold yourself against the oar. And I imagine when, when you're rowing in the gym, you're just crushing it, right? Well, depends on the kind of training, but yes. But yes, I'm crushing it. Yeah. I do. Um, it's, it's fun. We do, I do a lot of volume. I'll say, you know, right now I'm, I'm two and a half weeks away from masters nationals. Um, and it's a, it's been a lot of volume. So, I mean, typically between the water and the indoor rowing machine, meaning the ergometer, I'm rowing probably 70 to 80,000 meters a week. In addition to my strength training. Wow. I'm just imagining that compared to the rowing I do just in my general workouts. And it's just so significant, but obviously so important for you. Yes. So let's move on to the entirety of your athletic career. Can you take us back to your worst, hardest or most difficult moment in your competitive journey? Yes. And I have two difficult moments I'm going to talk about. It was really difficult when I'm going to call it, I blew my knee out. Um, vaulting was absolutely my love and to have a career ending injury was huge. And as a young athlete at 16, to be able to figure out, okay, how am I going to turn this around and what can I do and focus on what I can do instead of what I cannot do and my limitations and being able to turn that around and start rowing was huge. So, you know, having those dark moments of, I cannot vault anymore, but what can I do was huge. Yeah. And that's a really mature realization to come to at 16. I feel like a lot of 16 year olds may not naturally come to that conclusion. May just, it, it could be just this really devastating moment that you have this career ending injury so young. So it was just so mature of you to be able to be able to pivot like that at such a young age. It took some time, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was 16, but yes, it, it took some time. And then I would say more, more to current. Um, so rowing is a team sport when you, and I'm going to say when we had our boat, uh, in 2014 for the head of the Charles, we were a really, really close, tight knit group. We were, uh, eight women that weren't huge. Um, rowers are typically many, many good rowers are six feet tall and above. Um, the average height of our crew was probably around five, seven, but we learned to row very well together and we were a very close group. Um, you have partners in the boat. So, um, I was, what was number two seat in the boat and the woman who sat in front of me, um, her name was Linda and she and I became very, very best friends, very close friends. And, um, January, 2015, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And that was a really dark time in her diagnosis. She was a single woman with, um, only one son in the, t in town. And otherwise she was pretty much alone with not a lot of income. She didn't own a home. She didn't own her car. Um, so she immediately came to live with, with my family and another teammate also at a period of time throughout her illness took her into her home as well. And she and I became her primary caretakers. And it was a year of trial and tribulation, but a year of love and, and what you do for your teammate. And there were, even in the darkest of moments, Linda was funny. She had a sense of humor. She had this sense of strength. Um, even at times, dark times in the emergency rooms, she would 
make these funny faces or we would swear and look at nurses. And, and so we had a love for each other that went so beyond the boat. Um, and, and when we, when I, when I, before I lost her, I had the, the honor of talking to her about how would I know she was with me? And she talked about, you know, when, when I'm gone and you're on the water and you see the splash of the oar in the water, no, I'm there. When you see the sun rising, I'm going to be with you. If you see a ladybug in the boat, know that I'm with you. And, and that has carried true with me. Um, earlier this year, right before a race at the San Diego Crew Classic, a ladybug flew on my hand and I thought, wow, there's Linda. And you know what? I ended up winning that race. It, it, it happened a couple of weeks ago before a race. And, and I have turned her loss into how can this make me stronger? There's times when I think, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't go anymore. I have in my boat, take a 10 for Lydia. Cause we used to joke and call her Lydia instead of Linda. And I look at that and it's like, you know, for what she went through, I have 10 more in me. So it's, it's turned out that I just, I have her in my back pocket and I think of her strength and it's, it's turned out to be, I'm so lucky to have had her in my life. Oh gosh. <laughs> I, I was tearing up listening to that part of the story where you talked about, it's like when you see a light bug, that's me, you know, when the ah. sunlight on the water, you know, I, I, oh my gosh. Um, so what do you think is the most important thing you learn from this experience? To live every day and Every single day that my feet hit the floor and I stand up and I walk to be grateful and everything else in that day is icing on the cake because there were days where she could barely get up or walking to the bathroom was really difficult. And we take those things for granted and, you know, I'm an athlete and yeah, I'm going to go crush it. But you know, there's the small things that you've got to be grateful for when you find something bigger than you. When you find those those moments in life that you realize that life is fleeting, time is limited, and and the people that we have around us, we may not have them forever. And, and so it's so important to be grateful, to not take moments for granted, to not take this time that, you know, these, these successes in your athletic journey, to not take any of it for granted, and to, to carry the strength of the people around us to make us stronger as well. I have no doubt that Linda is with you in that boat rowing alongside you. And you can take that extra 10 for Lydia, as you said, anytime you're feeling tired. Yes. And to, and to take opportunity that's presented. So, you know, for example, um, going to the world master games in New Zealand in April, that was a huge decision. It was, you know, money, time, a long trip, but honestly it was like, wow, this opportunity is being given to me. Maybe I won't have that opportunity in four years when it comes around again. So take it now. Yeah. Live without regret. Yeah. Do it now. You never know. You never know what's going to happen four years from now, four months from now, four days from now. So live in the now, right? Yes. So on the other side, can you tell me about your most successful or favorite moment in your competitive journey? I went to the World Master Games in New Zealand in April and being on the, that was really, I would say in rowing my, my first time on, on the world scene in that capacity. And my first race was in a, in a boat with a pair, meaning I rowed with one other woman and we each have one oar, so it's a very technical race. 
I'm in the bow of the boat, meaning that I am responsible for steering. So you have to go straight in your lane. You cannot venture into other lanes. And it's really easy to do that in that type of boat. So we, we had a heat and then we had a final. So you had to do well enough in your heat to make it into the final. So we did that. We did well enough in our heat. So it was great to get one race under my belt. And in the final, right before we were lining up to get ready to go, I, so I'm not a huge rower. I'm, I'm five, six. And the woman I was rowing with is about five, eight, five, nine. We're not huge women. And, and she looks up and says to me, wow, look at those Latvia women. And I look up and there's these, this pair of these ginormous Latvia women. And I had to do the whole, okay, hunt, keep your head in the boat, you know, don't look at them. And what took place in that race was I was really nervous in the beginning. I had to really work to stay calm. And the things that happened during the race, those Latvia women about a quarter of the way came into our lane and were headed straight to our boat. They turned just in time and didn't hit us and went back in their lane. And then about three quarters of the way through the race, the boats on either side of us came into our lane. We were able to be up far enough that they didn't interfere. But I had to stay so calm when I wanted just to freak out and scream at them and be like, watch out. Um, we were able to get up enough and we won that race. And to win that race on that platform and know that I raced well and stayed calm and was able to be with my partner who we'd only rode together about four or five times together was a very exciting accomplishment. And she was so calm and I learned so much from her that that was honestly one of the most exciting finishes for me because I learned from her, her calm nature came through to me and it was just exciting. That's amazing. And it sounds like her calm nature came through to you and that, that you can take that into future races when these types of things start happening, where things start getting crazy and, and it's that calm and that connection with your partner that really paid off in that race. It did. And then I was able to carry that through the rest of the week. I had 12 races that week between heats and finals, um, came away from the world master games with four, four gold medals. And it just, what, what took place for me personally and the quality of people that I met and raced with and our team was incredible. And all to say that the people of Chinook Performance Racing and the board that put this team together has just given me personally a whole new lease on racing. And it's been an amazing opportunity. So let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be 53 years old and competing at a high level. And what types of unique challenges or maybe even benefits do you find you encounter as an older athlete training and competing at the level you're at? There's a couple challenges that come up and I'm going to say one of the first challenges is being smart about your training and your recovery. Um, I have learned the hard way about not giving myself enough time to recover. Um, I absolutely believe that I can be as fast and strong as someone in their twenties, but I need to be much smarter about my recovery. I take longer to recover physiologically. I can train as almost as hard, but I need to pay attention to my recovery. And, and when I say that, when I say overtraining, the true sense of, I have physically been overtrained. And, and what, ha what I mean by that is that you can't hold your your numbers as well, meaning splits you might be hitting or, or weights you lift 
you start feeling uneasy. You, I, for me, I'll get tearful. I'm not normally a crier, but I'll get edgy emotionally. And then I start not sleeping. Um, the only way to get better from that is rest. And that's, that's a bad spot to be in. So you have to really be careful with your recovery. I would say that's primary. The second one that a lot of women don't talk about, um, right as I was turning 50, I, I had normally weighed around 143 to 145 my adult life. All of a sudden, I started hitting about 150, 153, 155 um, weight-wise. And then I also started not sleeping. So I went about a year and a half of sleeping, literally not more than about two hours at a time and gaining weight um, and figured out, wow, what is going on with me? And then I had kind of weird stomach issues and I thought, man, I'm only 50, 51, I'm falling apart. Figured out it was menopause. Um, many women don't talk about that, but it is a true physiological change in the female body. Um, I, I went, found a great naturopathic doctor um, did some hormone testing and figured out, oh yeah, this is menopause, made some shifts in the way I was eating. Um, cause I figured out I'd have a few food intolerances with her. And then I did eventually go on bio identical hormones because hot flashes, all the side effects were so awful. Um, I'm doing it in a very safe way, but I feel so much better. Um, about a year and a half ago, um, that weight that I had put on, I actually lost about 20 pounds just by getting my eating taken care of. I got down to about 137 pounds, feeling amazing. Um, last year when I was invited to race with Chinook Performance Racing, I had the opportunity last year to row as a lightweight rower. And so I decided to go for that. Um, and through eating for performance and being very careful how I did it. Um, I went to master's nationals last year, weighing 128 pounds and rode as a lightweight and won three gold medals with amazing women in boats. So menopause turned it around. Um, you, you can turn it around. Um, it's not over yet, but there are ways that you can get better and get healthy. But that was a really hard time figuring that out. Yeah. I imagine it was, it was pretty confusing once until you kind of got a handle of what it was and then you could attack what it was. And do you, so do you feel that nutrition was really key to getting a handle on menopause when it comes to the connection to you as an athlete? Absolutely. Um, and, and getting into being a leaner athlete, knowing, you know, how much carb, protein and fat you should eat, um, knowing that carbohydrate is your fuel and your friend. Um, so yeah, learning that and experimenting with it for what works for me and then turning that and the ability to help others has been awesome. So let's talk a bit about that. Uh, what do you do as an eating for performance coach? So as an eating for performance coach, as far as, you know, so my background is I'm a marriage and family therapist. I have a master's of science in clinical psychology, understanding the psychology behind things. Um, I've turned it into just a different way to help people. So I'm a level two eat to perform coach, got educated that way, played with myself as far as experimenting quite a bit, got more educated than what I do is the way I help people is I have them get a legitimate resting metabolic rate. I have resources for that. So you know how many calories a day your body burns at rest. And then I also have them get a DEXA scan, which is one of the most accurate body fat tests. And then we work together, talk about the person's goals 
and I set their carb protein and fat for them and their total calories a day. And they start following the program and I help them through that. We work in six week blocks typically. And, and then I also work with Advocare, which is a nutritional supplement company. I've been working with Advocare for about nine years and I help them also if, if they're open to that with Advocare nutritional supplements. I also help people that aren't working with me for eating for performance with Advocare as well, um, because that's been a huge secret to my success. And do you primarily help people who are looking to be athletes or do you help all types of people? That's a great question. You know, all types of people from people that are literally just trying to get off the couch and get moving. Um, you know, people who've had, you know, that are obese and just having trouble getting moving to people maybe who have been injured or returning from a surgery or just had a baby male or female, um, because men who have just had a new child enter their world often gain a considerable amount of weight and helping them make those changes in a healthy way. And it's really important, I think, helping people understand nutritional balance in the body, macronutrients, carbohydrates, protein, fat, and how it relates to you, especially how it relates to you as you move, as you exercise, fueling that exercise, fueling your energy just to get through a day. Um, I think a lot of people don't have a really complete understanding of that and are fed information like carbs are bad. And that's kind of, you know, the popular culture information that they're fed, but that's not necessarily the case. And so just gaining an understanding of, of the relationship to of those macronutrients to your body, individually speaking, because again, everybody's different. So getting that resting metabolic rate, getting that body fat scan to really create an individualized program for everybody, I think is so helpful and so beneficial. Yes. And there's not a cookie cutter approach. You know, it's not the same for everybody. Um, the other thing I like about helping people in this way is that, you know, we all have our loves of our lives and I'm going to say potato chips are one of the loves in my life. Mm, pasta for me. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, there you yeah. go. And you know, if, if I want a small bag of potato chips, I can work it into my macros that day. Maybe it's not going to work for me to do it every day. Or if you really want that chocolate chip cookie at night before you go to bed, there's a way to make that work into your life. So, you know, I don't necessarily coach people and say, oh, you have to eat this and you can't eat that. Um, we work together and, and work for what's going to be best for you. Yeah. And creating a positive relationship with food. Yes. So what advice would you give to someone your age who's listening today and might be curious about getting into rowing or swimming or vaulting or any sport really, but might be a bit intimidated or scared? What advice would you give to that person? I would absolutely tell you the first thing you have to do is take that first step. You've got to try. So it may not be easy, but you've got to step out of your comfort zone. It's not going to be comfortable to first start. Um, I'll say, you know, when I went back to rowing, I was nervous. I didn't know anyone at the boathouse. It was completely different. I'd never been on a rowing machine. When I rowed in high school, they weren't even invented then. Um, the equipment was all new and different to me. So even though, yes, I'd been in a boat before, I didn't know the people, um, you have to take that first step and start and never, 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 never give up. It may take you 10 years to go to your first competition, or it may take you, um, I'll go back to swimming. It took me almost a year 
to learn to do a flip turn correctly. I didn't know how to hold my breath correctly. I didn't know how to blow out my nose correctly. And I was swimming with these kids that could do this over and over. And it was really hard for me to learn to do it correctly. So you've got to be persistent and never give up. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally connected with everything you just said from the you've got to take the first step to you got to be persistent. It just kept bringing me back to my time in roller derby. Um, and I just remember that first practice that I went to. And I, I think about my life if I hadn't gone to that practice, if I thought, oh, this would be cool, but I couldn't do it. And I, I hear people say that to me all the time. This would be cool, but I couldn't do it. And I always try and talk them out of that because my life changed significantly after going to that first roller derby practice. I found myself as an athlete. I met some of my greatest friends of my life. I met my husband through roller derby. Like everything changed in my life because I got out of my comfort zone and went to that practice by myself and didn't know anybody. And so I think it's so important that if you, if you want to do something, it's like your obligation to try. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It is your absolute obligation to try. And if you don't like it, great. That's the only way to know. But if you do, it could change your life. And then also the fact that everybody's journey is different and some things are going to come easier to some people and some things will be harder. And you might watch some people breeze through the process and be amazing really quickly. And it might be frustrating, but just know that your journey is yours and you'll get there, but you got to be persistent. Yes. And, and some people are competitive competitors and some people are not. There's, there's rowers that I row with that are recreational rowers. They love being on the water. They love being out and moving. And that's great for them. Again, like you say, it's their journey, your journey. You know, there's ways to, to play in the pool, if you will. Um, and, and be where you want to be and what works for you. Yeah. And I think most sports offer that they, they offer the levels where you can kind of find your place, whether it is recreational, whether you really want to push and be super competitive. Like there's many sports that provide the different levels that you can find what works for you. Yes. And, and age is just a number. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. And if you're somebody that's listening, that's in their sixties or seventies, I mean, there are rowers I know that have started at those ages and you truly can. There, There's women and men going at the head of the Charles in their 80s in their singles down that river. It's never too late. Yep. And I'm going to ask you for all of their names so I can talk to them. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. I just, it's like, I love hearing these stories. I mean, you didn't start swimming till you were what, 38? Yes. Yeah. Correct. And for many, that's, that would be considered seasoned for some, just for starting. I think a lot of people think that in order to play a sport, in order to be athletic, you have to start you know, when you're a teen or a kid and that's not necessarily the case. And a lot of people start later. And so it's, it's never too late to start. So if you want to do it, just do it, start slow, start at the beginning and do it. Absolutely. So we've given a lot of knowledge bombs in the last, you know, five minutes or so before we go, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you have learned in your competitive journey that you'd like to share with our listeners to learn from your mistakes? It is okay to make mistakes. Um, in my athletic career, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've blown races. I've made mistakes in my training, not hitting things I want to hit and learning from those it, that it's really about the journey, not the end result. Everything we do, we can learn from everything we do. It's a learnable moment. And it's easy to get frustrated and pissed off. But really, if you could just kind of take a step back and learn from it, it'll make everything better. Yes. And knowing that you're giving your best effort in in 
every practice, whatever that effort is, whatever you have that day, giving your best effort is satisfying. Yeah. And to be, yeah, to be really happy in in those moments, knowing that you gave your all, that's going to make it the best possible experience. You know, winning's great, but really knowing that you are putting everything out there in every moment you're out there is going to make that the most satisfying experience. Yes. So Allison, if people want to learn more about you or possibly work with you as a coach, how can they find you? I have a Facebook page called Eating for Performance and I have a website an AdvoCare website that is www.sparkallday.com is the probably the two best ways to get me. You also can text me, which is fine. Call me 408-666-5409. All right. You've got a direct line to her. Absolutely. And I could put all that information in the show notes as well. So if somebody, if you're listening and you didn't quite get that, and you don't want to rewind, just go to the show notes, go to seasonedathlete.me, go to the episodes part of the menu bar and find this episode. I will list everything in there so that you can contact Allison and get your nutrition on point. Sounds great, Robin. Thank you. All right. Well, Allison, thank you so much for being on the Seasoned Athlete podcast. I really enjoyed learning about your journey from vaulting to swimming to rowing. And I love what you shared. You shared some really unique and different things that some of our athletes haven't quite shared yet, especially the point about menopause. I, I thank you for being open about that because I think it's something we should be open about. And it's a very real thing that happens to women. And it doesn't mean you can't be an athlete. It's just kind of figuring everything out and knowing what's happening with yourself and then getting it locked down so that you can really thrive as an athlete as you continue to do in your 50s. So I'm really excited to see what you do next. Right. Thank you very much, Robin. Thank you. All right, seasoned athletes. Before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Chinook Performance Racing rower, Allison Hunt. Number one, playing a sport with your child creates a one-of-a-kind bond. Allison and her daughter shared the sport of swimming, and through that sport, Allison developed a unique respect for the effort her daughter put into the sport. And even more special, the role reversal that can come with sharing a sport with your child when your child teaches you a thing or two and helps you improve your game. Number two, understanding and managing menopause can be key to staying competitive in your 50s and beyond. Allison didn't quite understand what was happening when she started experiencing symptoms of menopause, but once she figured it out, she turned to nutrition to help her not just manage it, but to reach new competitive levels. And that takes us to number three. Speaking of nutrition, everyone is different and so are their nutritional needs. The more you learn about yourself, including your resting metabolic rate and your full lean muscle and body fat profile, the more you can learn about how to eat in a way that works best for you, whether that is for your day-to-day -day life or to perform at your best as an athlete. Thanks again to Allison Hunt. If you want to learn more about her, go to sparkallday.com. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. All right, friends, I have a really big favor to ask. I need your help to get the word out about Seasoned Athlete. How can you do that? It's really easy. Just share. Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises from the mountaintops. The more you talk about seasoned athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. 
Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.